University of Bristol have launched an interactive platform to connect new students and staff to the city's diverse heritage. And joining us today to tell us more about it is poet, champion of the people, activist Lawrence Ho. Hi Lawrence, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi Miranda, I'm well, thank you, and hope you are too. Yeah, cool. Congrats on the success of Cargo. Seriously, it's kind of just gone worldwide. It's gone global. For anyone who doesn't know what Cargo is, can you catch them up? Yeah, well, Cargo, which stands for Charting African Resilience Generating Opportunities, was put together originally to show an alternative narrative to the normal disempowering one of the period of time covering the transatlantic slave trade. So it was to look at the accomplishments and achievements of people of African and African-Caribbean descent through that time period. And look what they've contributed to our development, civilization, humanity, and to the society that we actually live in today. So that's how it was born. It's a collection of 12 poems that cover, cover this story, picking up individuals through that timeline. That's where Cargo came from, and then that come from a previous collection called Who's Story, which was response to the bicentenary of the abolition of the slave trade in 2007. It's a few years that it's kind of like come into fruition and come into its own. Why do you think it's taken off and been so successful? I think part of it was the solutions it was offering that people were looking for in looking for different stories and other information. And then something that has happened in the, this year with the Black Lives Matter rising up, getting a lot of people uncomfortable. And then on top of that, you had Colston's statue fall over, which sent vibrations through every institution in the world because it actually brought something to the attention of the world out of before, I, and principally Bristol. So a lot of people didn't know Bristol's history because Bristol is very good at controlling its own narrative and containing information within the city. The statue made that information come out and then you saw what a global reaction was to the atrocities that have been suffered by people at the hands of Sons of Bristol. That then has caused money to be made available to address this problem has been here forever, but it's just become topical. And now there's an outpouring for this type of work to be done at this moment because all of a sudden there's money to talk about it when before the interest in it wasn't, and also a lot of the people that might have been getting investment or funding to this type of work wouldn't address certain issues because it might cut off their funding. But for a slight moment right now, everybody wants to seem as if they're connected to this alternative story. We'll see how long that interest lasts once that initial input of money to appease a situation vanishes. Yeah, is it a moment or a movement? We can only wait and see. Can I ask you how you felt and where you were when the statue came down? I was in St. Falls when the statue came down with a lot of police officers, which was quite amusing. <laughs> but what I can tell, I think there's more police officers in St. Falls than there was around the statue fell. So I wonder what that was about. But my son was there because he'd actually gone and read one of my poems with a young girl from the community, Dana, at the event. But I didn't go. I stayed at back because lots of members of the community were feeling uncomfortable with it and at the same time I was a bit bored of marching and say with the original Black Lives Matter I never went to that original march marching carrying placards I didn't get it so yeah the statue fell down I was at home I mean in St. Ford my son phoned me to tell me the statue was falling uh, actually being pulled out at the moment I actually said film it film it and um and then me and Clive Smith actually drove down briefly from St. Paul's down there 
seen all the commotion. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just going home. So we came back and then watched it on the telly. It's a moment for me that I feel like I'm never going to forget. It was just phenomenal. And I'm kind of just so pleased I was there. That feeling, that moment as somebody who's been campaigning for 25 years for the changing name of Colston Hall, which maybe we could just touch on that quickly as well. Because obviously last week we had the announcement of the name change yes. of Colston Hall to Bristol Beacon. What are your thoughts on that? So I so should firstly say, I personally didn't see that as a priority. I felt that in Bristol we had the media issues that needed to be addressed before that. So I was never really into the campaign for the change. I never put my energy into the change of the name. Later on, the kind of Colston group, when they're doing what they did, I know that they used one of my poems about Colston for it, which I was happy for them to use and let them use their energy to try and achieve the name change there. So it's been changed. Cool. I mean, I never really seen it as a priority. I think a lot of the stuff to do with Colston is a real distraction. Someone died like maybe 200 years ago. The real legacy is what the slave trade created globally for a lot of places, which is the displacement and the disempowerment of people of African descent. And what we face of that immediately today is racist institutions like our local police force and our Bristol City Council in their actions and how they don't address the marginalised and our um, working class communities and how young black boys on the streets of Bristol are so targeted. And to me, they are the issues that I need to be addressing rather than the name of a concert hall to a person that no longer exists. So the Bristol Beacon, what do I think of the new name? In all honesty, I feel like somebody, it's like they got to stage three of a 6.4 process in renaming it. And it just got to a point where they believed what we want it to be is a beacon for Bristol. And then they stopped. I thought it should have had a name that was inspiring or empowering. But that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's just, to be honest, it's not important to me. What is important to you? Because what I know about you, Lawrence, is that you are a doer. Do you know what I mean? And you get out there and you are doing things. So what's one of the most important things you think that needs to be done to address the systemic racism, the toxic racism that we have in this country? Accountability. It's like they've all got so comfortable, and I'm talking about institutions and organisations, in coming forward and being able to say this, and I, I just don't get it. We know we've got historic, systematic, and we're institutionalised racists. Well, that's guilt, 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 charge, charge, charge. I can't be 11 times, 9 times, 10 times, 5 times more likely than never to be stopped without that being illegal. And if that's class because of the colour of my skin, well, that's racist behaviour. And if that institution that's committing that racist behaviour, I want to see someone get the sack. I don't want to keep seeing statistics decade after decade that keep saying that I am marginalised, now my children are marginalised, the laws exist to uphold our rights as civilians. For some reason, they are not being upheld. I want to see people lose their job straight. I don't want to see talks, conversations or commissions. Yeah, I want to see chief constables, heads of schools removed if those institutions are allowing this behaviour to continue. And then I believe that the behaviour would change rather quickly. Yeah, well, because other people are going to see the results of what their behaviours led to and change their perspective, let's say. Let's move on to where we met up today. So Cargo has collaborated with, uh, I mean, we're talking about some serious heavyweights here. The University of Bristol had collaborated with Cargo to develop an interactive platform. Can you tell me a little bit about that? University of Bristol came on board with Cargo a couple of years ago now. They made an investment into the Cargo project before we did our launch in October last year, helped do that. 
So this isn't something that just happened this year. This has been a relationship with Bill. And then we're looking at the ways that the university isn't connecting to the wider communities in the city, which we can see. And it was to bring the experience that we have of um, Bristol and the community and to work with the University of Bristol so that we can help to engage the university with the wider communities in the city. And that's what we feel needs to happen in the city. We've looked at the, I saw the kinds of other institutions to make connections, to make inroads. But all I've seen is our communities seem to be suffering more and more and being more deprived of resources and services. So we look at the private institutions in the city and see if we can get them to engage with our communities and how they can assist and help. In making Bristol not just a diverse city, but a connected city. So that's what we're looking to try. We're not even looking to try to do, it's what we're going to do. So many students come to Bristol and they don't feel connected, do they? So this is a really great way of doing it. Tell us a little bit about this app and how it works. What's it going to do? What we did first of all, we made a film. So there's a film done for it where we went out and captured many different people from different communities in Bristol. They're in the film. Then we've captured three stories of three different people in the city. One, Spencer Flay, who's a crane driver down at Ava Mad Docks, who in his off time plays a banjo. And I think he was just a great, great representation of a Bristolian. We have Chloe Minek, who came to Bristol University, studied great technology. I can remember her work with the black carers, elders, to work on a memory box. That's a beautiful soul. And then we've got Jamar Semper, um, who actually, I grew up with his mum, his grandfather's Bunny Reds, his auntie Sherry Eugene. He won the Young Chef of Southwest 2019 last year. So they're in it. And then we got some artists to promote different music in the city. And they're in there. So that's the actual first piece that we did for them. And that went out to all the freshers when they came, I think, on Wednesday. So that was streamed live to two lots of them. And then on there as well, what we developed with that is an interactive map to promote loads of the different African and African diaspora businesses in the city. And that is going to spread to actually let all different independent local companies and businesses to put themselves on the map so that they can be brought to the attention of the people that come to the city for the university. And promoting uh, black economy is so important, isn't it? It's going to be used to promote black and the wider, the wider economies in the city. The centre, which I call like, it's like the golden circle, the little mile all around the university. Well, you could go there, you could be really anywhere in the world. It's beautiful, it's prosperous. Go and sit down by the harbour side. You could be in Barcelona on a sunny day. But when you take a mile out, all of a sudden, the whole architecture of the city starts changing. And the opportunities and prosperity of those communities is not the same. And we need to have the beating heart of this city feeding out to the rest of the communities. Instead of that, just like the rate it's accelerating at the moment is incredible. But I can look in St. Paul's and every, every community centre, nearly every council-owned building and everything, they'd all be sold off. And I, I understand that's pretty much the same in most of the other communities like, like what St. Paul's is, where if you look in the centre of the city, it's just, it's just beautiful. Now, there's got to be a way that some of that wealth and some of that investment that's going there can be sent out into these other communities and help them that wouldn't really have a major impact in slowing down the development of the city centre. The city has to be more equal in the way that it's prospering at the moment. And that's kind of like on a global level, isn't it? The, the people who help... The, the, the tiny percentage of people who own the mass wealth in this world, you know, the percentage is just ridiculous, isn't it? And it's just 
Well, yeah, our world is so unequal. It's getting more unequal. Yeah. That's the problem. It's getting more unequal and you can see it. You can see it really clearly. And it's funny, so more people are kind of getting involved and catching up to bring, oh, actually, this doesn't look like what I um, invested in or voted for or believe in. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who are comfortable. That's the problem. There's a lot of people that are very comfortable with how the status quo sits. And it feels that every now and then, some people are feed into it and then forget the places or the people that they come from. And then they just revel in their own comfort. Yeah, it suits them. Suits them to do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. doesn't suit me. No, no, I can see that. I can see that. So one of the things, the sort of backlash of everything that's happened this year, the brutal murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter protests, the kind of ripple effect around the world, is that it has brought the conversation to the table about racism and anti-racism. And many, many white people questioning, what can I do to be a white ally? What would you say to somebody like that? Well, speak out. The thing is, there's people in positions. I believe that the only way to create the change here is, like I said before, is to make somebody accountable. So is there a good lawyer out there? Could somebody knows the law properly? Who could actually come on board to actually show how this community that isn't being protected, but the law should protect them. I, I, some of it I don't understand. So I'd love somebody that understood the law properly who could say, actually, yeah, this isn't right. Yeah. But then we want to know why isn't anyone being held accountable for it? So there's got to be a lot of supporters out there that are supporting this, that are being uh, educated in law and, and fully understand it. But have a look at the Race Relations Act and look at the Equal Opportunities Act and tell us if institutions like the police been able to say that they are just, we're just institutionalised racists. I believe that's illegal. And if that is illegal, I want to know why a charge has not been brought at this time to any of them. Yeah, no, damn straight. You're absolutely right. I'm just doing a series about the Bristol bus boycott and the significance and effect that I have that on that. Those laws were brought in to protect people from racial discrimination. So why we have institutions that and we know are institutionally and systemically racist, then why aren't they being held accountable? You make such a good point. And, and the thing is, their acts are seen by everybody. You can yeah. see it. And the stats are there for everybody to see. So why? I, I mean, I don't understand it. I hear you. I hear you. So we are at the moment in Black History Month. What do you think the importance of Black History Month is? And are you happy with the way it is? Or what would you change? You know, in the beginning, but when it was launched, there's definitely a lack of this type of information. I believe that this is just history, not black history, it's, it's, it's all our history. And it should, it should be widely and ready more available. That's why the curriculum needs to change because the curriculum is a misrepresentation of, of life, period. It's a lie and that needs to be addressed. So black history might like right now as normal and busier than ever. I've stopped answering emails, I've stopped answering certain calls. It's like everybody's like, no, 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 no. No, I do this work every single day. The work is just all of a sudden today, this month, it scores brownie points for certain people. Like, oh, come and talk now. Well, no, call us into talk in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, November and December, yeah? And, and let's see a programme that's packed where you want to know what, what we're doing and what we can do to create change instead of popping us in. For four weeks out of 12, I'm believing that you're going to answer and address and view and see all the things that needs to be done in that moment. At the same time, are pitting all the different black organisations and groups against each other in a small window to try to get their voice heard. 
you hit on something there that I think is really important, maybe just to sort of end the conversation with education. Education, this is obviously something that's really important to you. So how important do you think it is that we do need to change the curriculum? And how can we do it? We need to do this quickly, don't we? This isn't something, like you said, black history isn't black history. It's our history. It's history, full stop. My son goes to a school outside of Bristol. He went, he went and asked, what are we doing for Black History Month? They just dissed him. They just said, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, and wouldn't even address the issue. In Bristol, there's maybe slightly better attitudes towards it. You get out of the cities. It isn't in the curriculum. How, what can we do about it? That's why you just got to do it yourself. So, and that's what we did. It's like, we're looking at, it's not there in the curriculum. You want to do it, you're trying to work, get it done. You're looking at the state or the system or the education for everybody to look to address an issue that everybody's fully aware of. But you are doing it. How have you done it? Actually, by just actually taking responsibility into your own hands. That's what it is. And it's like thinking, like trying to work with the um, Department for Education or trying to work with this or that to say, this is what you need to be doing. It's like, actually, you know what? No, this is what we need to be doing. So let us do it. We will create a product that you won't be able to refuse to not use. And then we'll see what happens then. And then when you refuse to use this product that exists, you can no longer say it doesn't exist. Then you would really be showing that you've got racist behavior. So in the end, it's not like saying, oh, do this for us, do that. It's like, you know what, we'll make something. It will do what it's meant to do. And people then, it's down to them to choose to use it or not. And also with the, what we're making for the curriculum, you don't have to access schools to be able to access what we've created. This will be accessible free to anybody who can access the internet. So it's going to be 15 lesson plans to go with key skills history level three. All the work to do with it will be accessible to anybody that can access the internet. So you don't have to be in a privileged school or class to be able to get access to this information. How do we access it? Well, when it's up and it's done, you just go to the website, cargomovement.org. And on there, you have the cargo classroom section. You'll be able to access it through there, get to the digital elements. There's a lot coming, Miranda. I know, I can't wait. Any idea when that will happen? Oh, it's soon. Soon. We're almost out of time. I want to hear any last thoughts. Cool or... All I'm going to say is this, Miranda, yeah? Right now, there's a change happening, and we can work to make this change real. And in just knowing that, we should be happy. So let's happily work towards creating the change. We have to be the change we wish to see. That's what i got to say.